0: Oh yes, this is the Hardcore Marketing Show. I'm Casey Cheshire, your host for this epic journey. And today's show, sponsored by Cheshire Impact, on a mission to help people maximize their use of Pardot and Salesforce. Cheshireimpact.com. Bam. And we're live. And today's guest is an exciting person I want to introduce you to because we're very similar yet we have some differences. And I look forward to learning about the things that she's an expert at. She is a marketing leader, fellow agency founder, a mentor, an author, a writer. She's contributed to Forbes and other sites. President and founder of Lead It Marketing, Shannon Prager. How are you?
1: i'm good how are you i want to meet that person she sounds awesome (laughs) yeah well
0: you know sometimes people put that on like uh they just clip that and then make that their wake up on their cell phone it's just i'm
1: gonna do that that's a good idea so so. (laughs) and
0: yeah yeah so hey thanks for being here and this is this is our marketing leadership series talking to marketing leaders thought leaders agency leaders leaders in the space not only do you see what's going on you can also sort through all the bs that's happening and kind of point us in the direction of what's coming up in the future. So I'm stoked that you're here. And what I want to do to start this thing off is just pass you this thing. It's kind of heavy. Pass it over to you. Okay. That's Thor's hammer.
1: <laughs> oh, wow. Good thing I worked out last
0: night. Yeah. Good thing, right? I mean, me too. I got a couple reps in. Uh, and take that thing and smash some kind of marketing myth. Some bogus strategy misconception smash there you go yeah. what, do you, what do you want to set the record straight on today
1: um there's there's a lot that we probably uh, all run into being agency owners um, because we get to see a lot of the same problems or same things pop up against um, you know multiple clients. Um, I would say the one that uh, we see the most, and it always has similar implications for clients is the fact that they think they have customer insights but they really haven't spent the right amount of time in the right um, focus gathering the right level of insights to inform their marketing um, so you know i think there's a lot of different definitions out there about what personas capture why they're used how they get leveraged and Over time, it's just created a lot of confusion and what's important to a B2B persona is um, a bit different than what is important to a B2C persona. So I think it's confused the market. But at the end of the day, the most important information to gather about your buyers through that exercise is, you know, the, the common language that they're using, how they're identifying and speaking about their pain points, how their questions are changing as they move through their, you know, their buying life cycle a deep understanding of what that life cycle looks like. It's very, very different for B2B than it is for B2C, um, where they're going to, to educate themselves, how they're getting influenced, who the team is underneath them that's influencing their decision. Um, I mean, there's just a lot of data that exists within the personas that marketing teams tend to overlook, like the importance of really studying The buying process because until you really study that, how are you going to target the market that you're really, you know, trying to reach?
0: You know, and nowhere in that list did you say like the role, their title, the size. That's a
1: part of it, but that's usually where people go and they're like, I got my persona, but that is that's just the surface level. Like, what is the the What are the characteristics that make them up? How do you identify them? How do you speak to them in a way that you're gonna, you know, be able to resonate with them and influence them?
0: For sure. That's
1: the point of marketing.
0: Right. I remember some cute like, you know, marketing collateral back in the day showing, you know, here's a little buyer profile kind of thing, you know, hawked as a persona, but it just all it did was had this sort of surface level demographic data they like cats, they like dogs, you know, a, a picture and a name. And I thought, what a great start. But at the same time, you know, there's so much more to it. There, there's like everything you just mentioned, all those buyer signals and the the way they get their information There's all that juicy stuff just below the surface.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know, this is, this is, it's oftentimes beneficial to simplify complex things, but in this, particular instance, I think that the market has oversimplified it, and so it sent the wrong signals to clients that are just not informed enough to know what studying buying habits really means. And so you end up with a lot of data that actually isn't as useful to a marketing team as you might expect.
0: So where do you start? Because there's a lot, I mean you listed some really good points that you'd want to identify. Where do you, like, where do you start and how do you get that information?
1: Yeah, uh, I'll tell you where we don't start. First.
0: Okay. Yeah, it's good. We point.
1: don't start by taking the client's um, word on their understanding of their customer, um, and we actually are pretty upfront with this when we actually are are prospecting with our clients, um, because if they don't, if they can't get out of their own way, then we're not going to be able to help you know them move the needle for themselves. So the first thing is be, uh, making sure that the client is open to discovering things that they may not know yeah. um, and getting out of their own way in terms of the language that they're using internally. Just because something makes sense at the company that you work for, doesn't mean that the buyer is using that same terminology. So mm-hmm. um, we really need the, the customer to get out of their own way first. Um, when we can do that, um, we will go straight to the customers. We have a, you know, a pretty methodical uh, research process by which we're interviewing um, different customer segments. Uh, we spend you know, anywhere from 45 minutes to an hour and a half with them, just depending on the, the type of research and project that we're doing. And we're really asking them everything about the process they went through to purchase okay. the, the solution.
0: So now you sit them down like in a, in a basement with like a bright light <laughs> pointing at them and you're like, tell us the truth. Or how, well, luckily how we're in
1: the digital age now <laughs> <laughs> and we can do a lot of this by, um, you know, by phone and, and conference call yeah. and communication. I think um most people are pretty open and willing to having these type of conversations remotely now, which is great.
0: Do you do video when you do those, or do you do audio or whatever's comfortable for the customer?
1: If we have a sophisticated target audience, we will uh, we would suggest video, but it's surprising uh, how many industries are you know not really leading edge with with video yet. There's a lot of people that are still trying to figure out where this plays in their mix. So video yeah. is not necessarily a half to be like uh, we don't have to perform the um the interviews that way because Got most it. people aren't ready to do that
0: ready to do it, yeah. And then adds an extra layer to it as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you, you get them, you get them on the phone digitally or otherwise, and you go through the process they went through and where do you start? You start at the research phase or we,
1: um, is we it like start first
0: question. You always ask kind of thing, like a kickoff.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, I think it's a bit more grounded. So like, tell yeah. us a little bit about your department, your environment. Like what are you responsible for? How are you uh, measured um, by how how is your success measured? Right. Um, who do you report to? What do they care about? Um, so we're really trying to understand the profile and the the common trends of that particular buyer at first. Um, once we understand a LA lay of the, like the department and how they're organized and how they're um, incentivized, um, then we start digging into the process by which they went through to evaluate their current solution. So we're looking at things like what was the trigger? What was going on at the company that I e- even made this a big initiative? Was it something that was driven from the C-suites around, you know, a modernization, um, you know, trend or was it driven somewhere else? Like really trying to understand what happened to make this project even pop up. And then what was your role in it? Where did you go? How did you get influenced? So we, you know, we basically start by understanding the person, the trends um, that, that make up this, typical role or title or function. And then we start going into the process by which um, they went to evaluate the solution that they purchased.
0: That's really cool. I think the more you talk to customers, the more powerful you get. And so I just kind of, I, there's, there's this aura around you of having talked to so many customers. Do you see different trends and do you see, are there, are, are is there similar surprises that happen to your clients? Maybe you're, I'm, I'm curious about the triggers too. Are there certain triggers that people had no idea that that was actually the cause? They just thought it was something else. Like what kind of early lessons do you, do you see in this? Or, or what kind of typical triggers do you see?
1: yeah so we tend to focus on um a few different markets that's our niche and i i can speak to that a little bit yeah. later but um at a high level we tend to go uh, our, our target market is b2b tech and b2b okay. professional services yep. those are the two industries we really specialize in so for tech you know there's definitely some common threads that we see especially within the it like buying teams they're oftentimes yep. working alongside um, a line of business manager. so the need for the solution is driven by the line of business, but the IT person is there somehow validating the solution. So it's really, really important to understand the dynamic of the buying team, like who's who's leading who, who's influencing who. So that's definitely a common um, factor that we, we see in the B2B tech buyers, but it changes by market. It also sometimes changes by industry. Um, so we tend to, you know, I never like to assume I know anything. I, I really try to approach the interviews with an open mind and see where the, the data, where, you know, where the interviews, where the, the answers take me um, because, you know, obviously that's where we find the secret sauce to lie.
0: Right. Like all those biases get in the way. Uh, imagine right. we, we have our own just going into these interviews, but for sure the client does, for sure.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. yeah so- they just know what they know. And, and some, you know, sometimes you need to realize what you don't know to get the secret, you know, a little secret sauce.
0: Right. Right. Okay. And so then all that sort of backstory gets gathered. Then, you know, the trigger, what drove this, what the understanding the the team, the buying team, if there's multiple people involved. And yeah. then just kind of step through that process of what did you do first and what did you do second? And then
1: Yeah, so we're um, we're really asking a lot of the same questions across multiple buyers. So we're trying oh, to cool. get a nice sample size of data. So we're not just talking to one, we're not just talking to two, we're usually talking to segment groups. Once we can get about halfway through the interviews, we usually start seeing the common trends and patterns. So we start hearing common language. We start hearing common triggers. We start hearing common pain points, um, common channels that they're going to influence. And once we start seeing those trends pop up pretty consistently, we know we've got enough to continue our like external market research. So we um, we finish off the interviews and then we move into what we call competitive. Competitive channel. Re- I'm sorry. Competitive research and channel research. Right. So we're looking at all the competitors. We're trying to see how they're messaging themselves. Now that we have a better understanding of the buyers, we can directly map it to what competitors are or are not doing, and that really helps us understand where the areas of opportunity are. And really, you know, maybe where the client might be lagging, but also maybe where they're really doing something unique and different that we need to hold tight to. Right. Um, so it's just as much of a look at what they are doing and an analysis of that as what they're not doing. Hmm. Um, and then from the channel, I'm sorry, competitive research, then we start segueing into the channel research. And channel research, I would define as like, you know, the places that they're going to find information to make their decision, you know, whether that's social channels like LinkedIn, like LinkedIn or Um, you know, online channels like, um, you know, TechTarget, so, um, or analysts, you know, companies like Gartner Group. So we're really trying to round out the whole um, um, ecosphere of influences so we can understand where we need to be putting messages or where we don't need to be putting messages and so that, um, that channel research is directly informed from feedback that comes from the interviews from the clients, but it's also directly found from a lot of the research we're doing across the competitive market. Right. Um, so we're pulling that all together. And then once we have all that data, we're manipulating it, we're analyzing it, we're applying, you know, of course, a lot of our experience and using that to make recommendations on how they should develop their marketing strategy. And we consider that like the foundation. Don't do any marketing before you spend time on that because you're going to waste money. We see clients waste money all the time because they skip or try to go through this step too quickly.
0: Mm -hmm. I've noticed this too because it wasn't until maybe a couple of years ago when I started talking to people, interviewing people doing it right involves this step. It's a no, you got to do it. it. And there's, why do you think people don't really give it the time they should? Is it just a lack of knowledge or where, where does it come from?
1: Um, I think it depends on the size of the company. So I think for the S and B market, it's definitely a lack of knowledge. It's yeah. like you, you think, you know, your customer, you're so focused on, you know, like your business and trying to scale that you actually just don't value and or realize what you don't know. I, I, right. I feel like that is the, the scenario we run into 80% of the time. Um, There's always the 20% outliers, of course. Um, And then for the large companies, um, sometimes it's a lack of uh, not knowing what all the departments need in order to pull from personas. And so they tend to focus on the research with only one need in mind and not really rounding out the needs of everybody. Um, Sometimes it can be just trying to get something too quick and checking a box. Um, because of just, you know, the complicated and and slow nature of some of the larger enterprises out there. And, you know, their marketing departments are huge and things can take a while. So they just tend to want to move fast and cut corners.
0: Yeah, that size can affect things in terms of whether... You had the resources, or the knowledge, or even the access to be able to talk to the customers after the fact. Are there any channels? We also
1: sometimes don't even know what to ask. That's That's the other thing. Oh, that's true. You really have to be a good listener and a good question asker to be good at this part of marketing.
0: Is that something you can advise us on how to be a good question asker, or is that just sort of like innate in your in your ability?
1: So uh, it's definitely something that I think is is a gift that has to be developed. I'm not sure I could articulate how to get the gift yeah. yet um but it's it's something i'm really pushing myself on because uh, from a scalability standpoint you have to be able to you know train people to listen for these right. openings and and so um you know it's it's there is a secret method to it but i can't quite tell you what it is that's right, right. it's <laughs> like that
0: secret ingredient in coca cola just it's just there
1: yeah you know uh,
0: or dr pepper I'll, I'll take a Dr. Pepper.
1: It's a lot about being curious and just wanting to dig in further to round out really the whole experience.
0: I like that you added that word. That really seems like the word, you know, curious and yeah. it's almost like you can't necessarily make someone curious. I mean, I guess you could for a hundred dollars, you need to you know, be curious about water lilies and you're like, oh, <laughs> I think I could do that for a hundred dollars. But yeah, but like you're on a call with someone, they're selling some IT software you know, some kind of weird tech thing. You're not the end customer, but you. But there's that curiosity of understanding. You know, it's a real person going through a process, and what what's affecting them. So I, I could see that. That's cool. It'd be interesting to keep touch and, and see as, as you sort of like articulate those finer points of yeah. how to be curious and and question. It sounds like this is definitely a strength of your you and also your group is to get to the maybe not that surface level answer, but what's that the second answer, the third, and the why. But we-
1: yeah, I mean, usually sometimes people will give you an answer. And again, I guess I'm maybe elaborating and just pushing me to explain it a little bit further. But, you know, oftentimes we will get answers from clients, but it is not really answering the real question. And so you you have to be thoughtful about coming back to the same question to really get to the heart of what you're asking. Yeah.
0: Yeah, um, and because that.
1: they haven't thought of it or articulated it before they have, you know, who's, who's been told to, uh, articulate their buying process and, right. and what they went through.
0: Sure. Nobody.
1: <laughs> so, um, you really have to like, make sure that you're asking the question in a few different ways until you feel like you've got the solid answer that you could articulate back to them. And right. oftentimes I do, I, you know, once I feel like I've got the understanding, I, I will pause and be like, here's how I understand it you know, where, where did I miss the mark or where did I uh, maybe have a misunderstanding?
0: I like that. Just, just saying it back to them to, s- to see if you've heard it the right way, or if maybe even you're biasing it as you're listening to it, you know, yeah, is it right, th-
1: exactly. And that's, that's a, that's common for people to do. Yeah.
0: True. Yeah. True, true, true. I'm sure. I'm doing it right now. I'm trying not to. <laughs> <laughs> it helps me just learning, just straight out learning like, Oh, Great. I mean, that's so. One of the questions I do have: Are there any channels you're excited about? You're doing all these different channel. You're you're sort of diving into different customer stories and understanding what channels they are using or aren't using. Are there? It's almost like: Are there any two thumbs up? Are there any ones that you're kind of like a little down on based on some of this, the reviews you've heard? I mean, obviously it it varies across customer, but are you seeing any trends yeah. with channels?
1: Um. I wouldn't say that I would comment on a channel being bad because honestly the channel is guided by w- where the customer is. So sure it, who am I to say if something is good or bad, if the customer is there.
0: Hager, that's who yeah.
1: <laughs> I just know that we need to figure out a creative way of being there. Right. Um, so I, I don't really try to put on this lens of, Oh, they're, you know, they're on Facebook and Facebook is terrible. So we, you know, we're not going to do that. that. That's, I don't feel like a skillful way to advise. So um, here,
0: folks, Facebook is terrible.
1: <laughs> I right did not say that, uh, <laughs> but I would say that um, the the thing that is missed, but also very important, is the integration of multiple channels and tactics uh, okay. all working together. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, I think, again, what's really common for the um, new you know, like new to market, um, kind of immature SMB player who's just starting to get their um, feet wet in marketing is they tend to be like, oh, I need to do this thing. And this thing can be defined as the next sexy thing, whether it's marketing automation, it could be, you know, just email marketing, developing nurture streams, uh, launching a social strategy they tend to be like focused on the shiny object, but it's not the one thing that's going to move the needle. It's the integration of multiple things working together that impacts the buying journey. Nobody's just checking Facebook and deciding, Oh, I want to work with lead it or, um, Oh, I want to work with XYZ company. They're, they're going through a journey that is involving multiple touch points. And so your marketing strategy has to include multiple touch points. To meet them where they want to
0: be met i like that you know the idea that it's not the next shiny thing i we see that all the time right we see you know marketers were guilty of this because we create trends and we like to market to ourselves and to others it's like the next you know abm came out or, or and you know the next thing and it just comes out and then it's all the rage and we we got to get it yet we have maybe a marketing automation tool that we are still batching and blasting on. We're not even nurturing people automatically on it. Like right. there's some baby steps. And to your point, before we even get to that step, we got to do that buyer research to understand who the heck we're talking to. Exactly. So yeah. we can get distracted by those shiny things and not do the things that we really need to do. Yep. Hmm.
1: It seems so basic, but it's, I mean, it's just easy to miss when, especially like, you know, I'm not an expert in accounting. I don't know all the best practices of accounting. I depend on an accountant to help guide me through that. For sure. Uh, you know, it's, I think it's the same thing with marketing. Um, you know, maybe sometimes people don't value actually what they do and don't know as much as they should. But, um, you know, they're oftentimes just flying blind because they just don't know any better.
0: For sure. And and do you see that's where agencies come in then? Is as we talked about biases, we've also talked about, you just, you know what you know, you know, what you don't know. Um, yeah. Maybe in marketing, it's a little blurry because we typically wear lots of hats, but it's yeah. like, why don't you bring in someone who actually makes those hats, you know?
1: Right. To advise you on what hat you need to have on at what yeah. time.
0: Yeah. Um, Is like there a perception incentive? thing that you see with agencies or not hiring outside vendors? and?
1: Yeah, I see. Um, so, you know, I feel like the SMB company will take this in one of two directions. So they'll either try to hire one person that they have a lot of expectations um, like put on. So they want them to run their SEM campaign and their email marketing and their social strategy, and they want them to write blog content. And those are actually in our world in the in the um, advanced marketers world, like four very distinct skill sets that one sure. person, like as a unicorn, if they can do them all and unicorns do exist, but not they're rare. Um, and they're not easy to find. So, um, so we either find somebody like having way too many expectations and, and trying to put way too many skills into one person and really spinning and finding that they're just not seeing any traction. And then they come to us because they start valuing what they don't know. Right. Or we find them, um, going to an agency and these are just common, common mistakes that we see. Sure. Um, obviously, the, you know, there are many people that don't make these mistakes. But right. um, the, other, the other mistake is going to an agency and not really understanding what your need is as a company. And mm. then if you don't understand your own need, you end up hiring an agency that really isn't specialized in solving that problem. And, um, you know, I've been in this, this market for a long time. I've experienced a lot of agencies. I've been on the client side of things. And the agency world is confusing because digital marketing is a, a label that we all use, but it's a, it means a lot of different things to different people. And what you refer to as digital marketing is very different than what I refer to. So, sure. you know, it, the customer has to be somewhat educated on their problem so they can understand how to select an agency that actually specializes in that. Because most agencies are really good at a few things and not all things. And they will not tell you that.
0: Right, and the better ones will the the more the mature ones one, will yeah, more mature ones know, and probably yours in mind, we know what we know, we know what we don't know, we also know that it's a terrible idea to try to sell a project that you're it's not in your wheelhouse. Not an
1: expert in yeah, it's, like that it's, doesn't it's, set us up for success as no, a partner,
0: yeah <laughs> horrible to manage that, and uh and it doesn't always turn out well or if it does, it costs you ten times the amount of mental powers and resources, so eventually yeah. the good agencies figure out specialize own what you own you know find partners that you can work with that know the other things but there's a lot of those beginner agencies that'll just do everything and i mean i was there you know many years ago cheshire impact did websites and post direct mail and all sorts of weird things you know um and so the the the, the more immature agencies if you will they'll just tell you they'll do everything so yeah you're right it can be confusing and tricky so if you don't know what you're doing they don't necessarily know what they specialize in yet. It can be a crazy match. Yeah, absolutely. Huh. Any, any tips for picking a good, or, or, I mean, how do you get educated if you don't know that particular thing other than listen to the hardcore marketing show?
1: Yeah, it's true. Um, so I would, I guess I'll lean into my own advice when I'm trying to learn something that is new to me. Um, I tend to study it and just try to, um, educate myself around it. So, It's very common for me when I'm um, learning, you know, uh, something that is new or um, I'm trying to just advance my skill set on something. Podcasts are um, a frequent source of um, knowledge for me or learning. Um, I, you know, I read a lot of articles. Um, I tend to follow, like if I'm, my, my particular passion projects are around like leadership development and personal growth. So lots of books around that topic. Obviously, lots of podcasts around that topic, and lots of external reading. Plus, I join um, leadership development um, courses. So I'm always really trying to round out a, a skill set that I feel like I need to build. Right. Um, so you can do that in a variety of different ways. Um, whether it's reading, um, I have one um, a friend of mine that actually is like a. Uh, we we share business ideas. Okay. Cool. And. He, he, we have such a good friendship that he uses um, his time with me sometimes to just bounce ideas off and let me coach him. Um, So I think that that's a smart way of finding, finding a friend and, uh, or a resource to help guide you through it that you're not going to be doing business with, that doesn't care about, um, you know, trying to get your, win your business, somebody that, somebody that will be more of that advisor to help you work through some of the, the details. Um, and, and then, um, there was one other uh, thing that came to mind around, uh, um, researching, but I think, you know, being able to understand what your pain is and then map your pain around what that solution needs to look like. So if you're trying to fill in a particular gap with an email marketing, that is one solution. If you're trying to develop a more strategic marketing plan, because you have been struggling with performance in the past that is another type of solution. So understand what your problem is and then you know make sure that your interview questions your your whole process of evaluating the vendors is surrounded around that problem.
0: Yeah, a little bit of prep work. I love that. A little bit of understanding the pain, really thinking about what it is you're trying to solve, doing some research, you know, whatever medium it is, you know, audio, video, you know, papyrus whatever you got to do to Get some knowledge so that you're not just, you know, relying on the vendors to teach you in their, you know, teaching you as they're selling you kind of thing. That makes sense. Well, you know, you mentioned earlier talking about, the the benefit of the multiple channels or the it was the integration of the multiple channels over the shiny thing it's not the one thing that does it, it's the it's the integration it reminded me of finance where it's not the one stock you pick it's that spread of all the different investments you're picking that's the power to it so do you have any tips on how to best integrate multiple channels or to even think about them as they're going on and not get maybe pulled into just one
1: yeah um... So I think the, the best way to think about it is honestly not to do it. Ne- never is one channel just going to be the answer. It's okay. it's never going to be the answer. Right. So um, if you're only doing one channel, you're missing an opportunity. Um, it's not to say that it may not be benefiting you, but it may not be benefiting you in the most effective way. Um, so that's, I think, num- rule number one. Okay. And then in terms of integrating it, um, you know, they're all so highly interconnected. So, uh, again, we've, our, our niche is B2B tech, uh, B2B professional services, but within that space, demand gen. Demand gen is comprised of um, a, a, a few key areas. I would define them as, uh, number one, understanding your customer. So having deep customer insights, understanding what you know about them, how they buy, language they speak in, pains they, you know, everything about that process. Next one would be um, how do you relate to them? And that is around a content strategy. How do you reach them and speak to them and add value at different points of the buying life cycle in the awareness stage, they're asking pain based questions In right. the consideration they're asking solution based questions and the purchase they're asking vendor based questions. So if you don't understand how to relate to people in each of those stages, you're never going to have trouble. I'm sorry, you're never going to have any success um, developing campaigns that convert because you what don't those, speak their language.
0: What were those stages again? So awareness, they're thinking what pain based?
1: Uh, an awareness, they're thinking pain based. Um, uh, like if you think about Google search terms yeah. and somebody is dealing with a sickness and they're in the awareness stage, they are going to be Googling pains, fever, chills, cold, you know, like cold all over, achy body. When they move into consideration, those questions change. And now they're actually starting to realize, oh, these, these pains are actually indicative of either a cold or a flu. So what's the difference between a cold and a flu? So now the question is shifted to a, um, a solution-based question. And then as they move into purchase, take that same scenario, now they're trying to understand, they've self-diagnosed that they have the flu and they're trying to solve the problem with the flu. So do I go homeopathic? Mm. Do I go on Tamiflu? They're actually looking at solu- the actual solutions to solve the problem. Right. So um, if you don't understand, and that comes from the customer insight, if you don't understand that, how can you develop a content strategy to reach them and pull them in? And if you don't understand that, how can you reach a channel strategy or communication strategy to put your messages where they are? And if you don't understand that, how are you going to create digital campaigns that guide them through the whole journey? So I think that that's probably the simplest way of understanding why those customer insights like intersect. um, Because it's going to tell us where to go, what to say and how to, how to separate you from the pack.
0: But you have
1: to know the customer in order to do that.
0: Got it. That, I mean, I think that's the strongest case I've ever heard in terms of you've got to do that work so let's say we've done that work. How, how do you best leverage it? I mean, there's like a th- probably a thousand things you'd love to do. Then. Is there any priorities you have in terms of, okay, you've done this research. What's the next step from the research?
1: So what's typical for us is that uh, with the SMB buyer, again, that's our target market. Um, there's, it's not like they have unlimited marketing funds. So
0: right.
1: I can't necessarily say we need $30,000 worth of marketing spend in the next, you know, X, Y, Z amount of months. Let's go. Um, we definitely have to pick our lowest hanging fruit and prioritize. That's just the, the, the way that the SMB market goes, you're going to have to place bets. So when we go through the research process and are developing the strategy, we are making recommendations about where we feel like they the most impact is going to be made in the shortest amount of time. And we come up with a phased approach to roll it out. Got it. So, um, we will turn, uh, what we call the always on campaigns first. So those are things like email marketing, you know, we'll build in those nurture programs. So when we do get new leads, we now have a pathway to send them down. We'll build out the social strategy. So if somebody comes and checks your LinkedIn profile that they see active communications that um, that are grounded in what you care about and what you want your brand to stand for. Um, we will launch um, and, and, and kind of re-strategize maybe the web experience if it's not Done with persona pass or with segmentation strategies in mind. So we try to get the foundational things first um, in those always-on campaigns. And once we can operationalize those, then we're phasing in what I would call those more of those campaign level um, uh, projects or programs. So this is where we might um, focus on a referral program first if we find that a huge source of lead drivers are people referring other you know people to business um, we might launch, uh, an SEM strategy. If we find that, you know, people are looking on Google AdWords and doing a lot of, you know, competitive, uh, you know, whatever research on, um, right. on Google AdWords. So we're listening to them and then making recommendations on where we view they're going based on short list of priorities and what's going to make the biggest impact. Cause they can't, they can't ever do everything at once, just from budgetary constraints. And we just, that's a pretty common uh, scenario we we run into with an ESMB.
0: right? And that makes sense. And I love that phrase: uh, pick the little hanging fruit, prioritize. just yep. Figure out what has to come first, and then the always on first, so that yep. it's continuing You got to something run. to like the
1: yeah. Start getting yeah. the engine
0: moving. Yep. Yeah, it's a little Roomba robot cleaning the clean the. Do you have one of those? Have you ever seen those? Little... I do. Yes. Yeah. Do you have one?
1: I, I I haven't used it in a while, but we do uh, have one.
0: Do they work?
1: Uh, it's been a while, like it's been a while. two houses ago. I mean, it, it's great when you have pets and dog hair. So. Right,
0: pets and dog hair. But uh,
1: I, it doesn't quite give me like the level of cleaning that I want on a agree.
0: Yeah, I hear there's one that mops too.
1: I haven't <laughs> used that one. Yeah. <laughs> so, so That might be nice.
0: So, th- I mean, this is this is fantastic information. I think this is key because we're we're laying the foundation for people and also even talking about how you can then you know work with agencies and also evaluate them so you get the right one you know my question at this point is like who are you where did you come from how did you become this this agency founder and marketing leader and contributor and all these things like take us back to like little shannon days
1: little shannon days so um I would say that uh, I've had marketing in my blood for many, many years. My dad um, was an advertising executive at um, several large advertising agencies um, that are based in Dallas, but also global. um, Global. So, I mean, at the age of four and five, I remember learning about um, commercials and how to influence people through messages and sounds and colors and music and emotions. Um, We were always evaluating different. Uh, commercials. And so there's a level of me, like I'm always naturally analyzing that because it's always just been a part of my childhood. Right. Um, my, my dad, you know, was always looking at commercials on his in like almost as a hobby. So um, that definitely I think grounded me in really loving to understand by like um, uh, I love, I love studying people.
0: Would he bring commercials home? uh or he pointed out that
1: No, if I remember the video cassettes, but I'm sure he did actually. Um I mean some of his accounts at the time were like American Airlines and J C Penney and
0: yeah.
1: um Texas Tourism and I, I yeah, I guess he did because I remember looking at these commercials and really like analyzing them
0: with them. Wow. How old do you yeah. think you were at the time when that was going? Like 4?
1: I mean, wow. I would lay in his lap and we would just be looking at the TV and just talking about different things and it it just was part of my life from from the very beginning. So uh, that's definitely a huge, I think, um, factor. The other thing is my mom is an entrepreneur.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, at you know some point, she owned three different businesses. So I definitely feel like there's a mix of like this entrepreneurial spirit that I got from her, and this drive to um, you know always kind of want to be creating my own thing. But then this studying of people and understanding how to influence people through really interesting ways that I got from my dad and I just married them together. And here you go.
0: <laughs> That's I see that too. That makes so much sense. The market. Yeah, know, it's interesting. Four years old. It's, it's like in your genes at that point that you just, and it's, and it's wrapped up in love too. So I can see how it's like something that it, it. It's like
1: really natural.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Really natural. And maybe even at the time you look at an advertising, you think about your family, you know, it's like, yeah. and then mom's out there just kicking butt, founding companies, trying things, testing things. And, and it uh, takes some courage to do that. So you kind of pick up a little bit of or both sides on that. That's cool. So I, I could see why you went to school then, and it was like, let's do marketing. Let's, let's get some – did you do a like PR, communications, marketing?
1: Yeah, I ended up going down the PR route um, mainly because I always had a strong background in writing. Like it was just something that was pretty natural to me. And, um, and you know, at that age, you know, your parents are helping you understand what you're good at. And so yeah. they were always like, you're great at writing. Um, you're, you know, I think you might enjoy marketing. Uh, why don't you try the PR side of things? Because that was a bit of a combination of both. So I did study that with a minor in marketing and um, and really like use my internships to decide what I did and didn't like about different areas. Um I liked PR, actually. I still continue to re- use a lot of my writing background. I think the main reason that um, I didn't go that direction is, um, you know, when I graduated high school, tech was like an, an up-and-coming market. It was yep. definitely, like, something a lot of people were paying attention to and they knew would change the world, but they didn't know how. I mean, it was that new. I'm, I, I, I grew up without the internet um, in many cases. So,
0: Do you remember uh, when it first came around and you first? I do. On?
1: Yeah, I was I think I was in I remember in like in uh in college. Okay. Like checking the um my email at the library, but it might have been um surfacing um, you know, like when I was in high school, but just not paying attention at that level. Right. Um so uh uh basically um
0: PR and by the yeah. way, I, I went the PR route too, but the, the chat and it was fun for a while, but then I realized uh a lot of times it was like, hey, really fancy reporter, meet this really fancy CEO. Okay. Have fun. And then yeah, I was like, right. man, I'd rather be either the fancy reporter or the CEO. I want
1: more action. Yeah. yeah
0: let's get in there. Can I? Can I hang out too? No. Your you're, your job's done. You connected us. Yes. Today.
1: It's changed a lot since the the time yeah. that I've studied. It was social, and it's like a, a completely different industry. But it definitely felt like I wanted more. I wanted, um, you know, I wanted to have more value. I think honestly, yeah. in the company, to be honest, completely honest. And I um, I started in tech. I was totally like coached by my dad, go, to, go into tech. Cause that's where the future is. So I did. And then my experience that I was given there really, like I had a, a very integrated experience. Like I had my hands in a lot of different things for many, many years, which I also think helps me approach the integration in, at a, at a level that a lot of people don't because yeah. of, of, of my, um, my background of, of just being in, I've been in PR, AR, Marcom, DemandGen. Um, you know, I've run international marketing, I've I've done email marketing, all sorts of different areas. So it's, it's really helped me understand the importance of integration.
0: What about that? I know you did an internship at NASA, like what was that all about?
1: Yeah. So, um, that was a little bit of me trying the PR side of things and then the marketing side of things, um, as a way of trying to filter out what was important to me. So in the summer that I did those interns, I actually did two interns and I was working full time um, the summer and driving halfway across Houston, but I did, um, half my internship at a PR agency, um, like in the first part of the day. And then I would drive over to, um, on the outskirts of Galveston and do NASA for the second part of the day. Wow. And NASA was really focused on more marketing. We were focused on their, um, what they call the space center of Houston, which is their okay. visitor center. Mm-hmm. And so radio, you know, different radio ads, sponsors, you know, all that, all that kind yeah. of stuff. And then on the PR side, it, you know, it was, at that time it was 20, 25 plus years ago, but, um, building media lists, um, working on pitches, uh, you know, building target, target, target influencers, et cetera.
0: Did you so, have to clip newspaper and magazine things and put them on white paper? Did you ever have to do that? <laughs> Tape I
1: think on? I have, I think I have forgotten about doing okay. that. But yes, it does bring a bank. Now. I
0: remember like, Hey, internship at a great PR company. and, and then it's like, okay, here's a magazine article. So cut out the headline, put it here. The body, put it here. You tape it all on there, then you photocopy it. And I yeah. did that for yeah. like you're well, hanging out with a photocopy machine for like an hour. Or so
1: yeah,
0: <laughs> that's cool. So so NASA, I was gonna say, you know, not everyone gets to play with rockets, but it sounds like you got a chance to play with radio and all sorts of different channels. Yeah, it
1: was a great experience. Absolutely amazing. So fun Very stuff.
0: Cool. Yeah, no, you didn't hop in a rocket, you know. No,
1: plan. but I got to meet lots of astronauts. Did you really? So, and yeah, That's absolutely. Cool.
0: That's yeah. really cool. So if you were to look back on your marketing career um, now, let's say we put you in, in a time machine and you went back and you just got out of school, like, what kind of advice would you give yourself at the beginning of your marketing career?
1: Um, I would say that I have been really like – I'm not one to dwell on – the way things happened, I feel like so many things happen for a reason. So learn from them yeah. and don't have regrets. So a lot of my advice is going to be not grounded in like doing something different, but maybe leaning into something that I have realized later in life is super important. Um, so I think the first one is that um, I wish I would have known at an earlier age to use my weaknesses Mm-hmm. Um, that maybe I've been ashamed of, or um, you know, ha- hid for many, many um, years of my life, to really help grow your strengths. Once you can embrace them and understand, like that they're act- that they're actually maybe not weaknesses that they put you in a unique position. Um, I think that 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 has been a game changer for me.
0: Wow. Um, Have an example of that, because that sounds like a really powerful thought to develop.
1: Um, I mean, like I'm not
0: good at writing, so embrace the other side, or.
1: Yeah. So, um, there's been a lot of these, so I'm, i I want to keep, uh, I, yeah. I could go deep and I could go a higher level. So I'll try to not go, go deep. deep. <laughs>
0: um,
1: but one I would say is, um, you know, I, as a working woman, um, yeah. I spent a lot of my late twenties and early thirties really trying to uh, feeling guilty and shameful about my drive, my ambition, um, my, my, my want to build something that a lot of, you know, women traditionally don't do because they're raising families or, you know, they're making some other choices. Sure. And so I, you know, for many, many years, I felt ashamed of it. I had some baggage that came with how I was raised. And so um, it was actually holding me back. It was holding me from making the decision to continue to scale lead it. Right. And I finally had to realize like, the way I was raised directly impacts the change that I want to make in the way that I'm going to scale. And so instead of being afraid of what's in front of you based on what you know, like get out of your own way. Yeah. Use that weakness that you think you have in the way you were raised or um, whatever you're holding shame in and use it to create a path to get you there in a different way. Um, So that's, that's one way. Um I went kind of in in between deep and high level oh, it's there.
0: That's cool. I appreciate you saying that because there are people listening to that that for sure are in similar situations and just hearing the phrase get out of your own way. Yeah. And acknowledge- I mean it
1: is, there's a lot of mind talk that yeah. um, that I think can get you out of your own mess. Your Absolutely. own messy head.
0: Absolutely. That, I mean that's great advice and so I could see I could see younger Sh- you know, Shannon listening to that and being like Hopefully she listens <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, you know, it just leans into that. That's fantastic. Very, yeah. cool. very cool. Well, you know, do you have time when you're not, you know, crushing your agency game and the marketing leadership? Do you have time for fun and passions outside of work or how, what do you, what yeah. do you do if you have, when you have a few minutes of, a uh, breather time?
1: Um, so I will say one of the things that's really like at the forefront of um, just my life is that my life is full. Cool. Like I, I I have some added pressures that a lot of other people don't have. Um, running a company, scaling a business. Um, one of my passions is really mentoring and developing young women. So I try to do that within my business. And, um, because I have made room for so many things, I have to be really selective about things that I'm not making room for. Right. So, you know, I don't spend a lot of time, you know, binge watching TV. Um, I don't really watch a lot of TV at all. Uh, I, you know, I I try to use my time focused on the things that I do care about. So that's a lot of self-development. Um, I love creating new things. So I, you know, this January, I recently started an art class. And uh, my next step is really wanting to take the art class to the next step and start trying different mediums like Mm. glass blowing or, you know, um, maybe um, sculpture. Sure. Um, But I love the creation process, especially when it's like, I'm not, I'm creating what's in my mind. That is my, one of my favorite things to do. So uh, I look for. I look for ways to bring that to life. And then um, I think the other uh, hobby or passion is, is the mentoring side of things. So um, I tend to be a boring person, but because I'm intentionally trying to make thing, room for the things that do mean a lot to me. And, you know, I've also got to balance a family and three kids.
0: Oh,
1: so. for sure. I've got a full life, so I have to choose carefully.
0: Yeah, I like that though. Full life. I mean, there's no complaints there. It's like, it's not a fourth of a gas tank or it's not running on empty. It's like, there's a lot of things and it can be a good problem to have. Is just right. juggling. No complaints. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I, I like that, you know, we do so much creation in, in the, in the digital world that it, I could see the, um, the value of just kind of creating things in the physical world. Um, that you can touch or you can see and they're actually right in front of you. They're not like a one or a zero or an, an MQL number on a screen, right. like something you can actually see. And you're like, I did that. And your hands did that instead of having to type it out.
1: And it's, um, I've, I've actually found, I started it because it was just something of interest yeah. to me. And I always was yeah. like, gosh, I wanted maybe get into art when I retire. And then I was started wondering like, why am I waiting for retirement? So I started it in a very like, curious, interesting way. But what I have found is that it really helps me problem solve in a way that I wasn't problem solving before.
0: Um,
1: It it helps you realize that you don't necessarily need to think so far ahead, especially when so many short term variables can change the future. Um, So anyway, I I like what it's done in terms of opening my mind up to different ways of solving problems. It's been an added benefit that I didn't expect.
0: For sure. And I, I, th- I could see the mentorship doing that as well. I mean, you mm-hmm. give and then you, you receive, you learn so much from, from guiding other people. Tell me more about that. So, you mentor in your company within it, or?
1: Yeah. So, um, a really, let's see, a really pivotal part of my journey of, of entrepreneurship would probably happen about four years ago as I was moving from Houston back to Dallas. We were moving okay. back to our hometown, putting in our final roots. You know, our kids were um, at the age where we knew we weren't going to be hopping around again and we'd finish off in, in high school here so we were putting you know finding our final home um, finding our final neighborhood and in my mind I'm like what am I going to do with lead it from a you know final perspective how am I going to um, yeah. how am I going to grow this what's it going to look like and at that time it, we we were a small company of, of of subcontractors and I was dealing with the whole scale issue back with my mom um, all those questions about, um, being a woman entrepreneur. Sure. So, um, as part of that, um, I was hiring full-time employees at around the same time that I was, um, going through a leadership development course and learning a lot about myself. I knew I wanted to scale, but I didn't quite realize the hold that some of my past had on my mind. And so when I, um, when I had to come face to face with that, I was also coming face to face with watching some of these young women that I had brought into the company grow and take on these responsibilities that they never thought um, they would be capable of, and I found such fulfillment in it. Right. And what I what I really realized is I needed this company to be more than just about making money because of the 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 pull that it has on me from a family perspective, from my kids, like it's it's really hard for me. And this is just a me thing. This is not, I'm not, um, I'm not suggesting that everybody would feel this way, but for me, it's very hard for me to just focus on a business for money that doesn't have a greater impact and also feel like I'm sacri- making a sacrifice with my children. I just needed it to be about more. I wanted my children to know that this business is about more. And so it was a little bit of a perfect storm where I was starting to scale and finding so much fulfillment in that mentoring aspect already that I've just like embraced it and really tried to make it part of the culture and DNA of lead it. You
0: know, I, I can, I can, I can feel that. And, and I would, I would, I would kind of argue with you that I don't think that's just you. I think a lot of people can relate to that. I know I can relate to that. Um, and not even as a mother, as a father, but not even as like that, that primary, you know, caregiver or any of that. But I think we can all relate to look when, when something like business or work is pulling us away from things that we love, it it can't just be about another.
1: Yeah. It can't be about a paycheck. uh, Yeah. You want to, you want to know you're impacting something a bit bigger. Um, I just, yeah, I, I mentally need that in order to keep my head in the right place. So, uh.
0: Yeah, Because it's a bigger sacrifice too. It's not just that nine to five type of job. You're running the thing you've got, especially when you've got full-time employees, you're on the clock. Like they, all their families rely on you right, to keep it going. And so that there's a lot of stress, a lot of pressure. It can't just be about, you know, another car in the driveway or something like that.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: For sure. Yes. Well, yeah, this has been just awesome. We've talked marketing. We've talked about purpose and passion and your cool history and working with NASA. And thank you so much for coming on here. I mean, I've learned a lot. Thank you for lot.
1: inviting me. I absolutely uh, uh, enjoyed it.
0: Absolutely. Where can people connect with you? What, what are some good URLs and social channels to reach out to?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, we have a regular blog that we publish on our website. Um, I definitely encourage people to sign up for that. It's a combination of marketing best practices. It, we really, again, specialize on that B2B um, yeah, yeah. market. So. Marketing best practices, but I also write my own articles and I'm publishing them on Lead It right now as well. So you can get some of the um, things that I write about as well through that sign up on leaditmarketing.com, um, L E A D I T, marketing.com. But um, across the social channels, you'll find Lead It on all the major social channels Instagram, um, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn um, at the Leadit It domain. Yep. And then you can also follow me personally. And again, I publish more of my own video and personal content mentoring kind of content oh, cool. um, across. Um, I would encourage like, if you're going to follow me on Instagram and LinkedIn are probably the ones that you see me doing, doing the most on.
0: Got it. And are you just, you know, first? At, uh, you yeah, now?
1: sorry. It's Shannon Prager. So um, usually some like, some version of the name together or an yeah,
0: Okay yep. Perfect. So
1: perfect. add shannonprager.com. I'm sorry, at, at Shannon Prager, S-H-A-N-N-O-N Prager,
0: P-R-A-G-E-R. Okay, perfect. And we'll definitely put that in the show notes as well. Because I think if there's a lot of people, especially, you know, young women in the marketing world that hear this, they're like, yeah, you know, probably resonates more than I can even comprehend. And they're like, yeah, let me go, you know, let me go follow Shannon and 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 learn from you. Because you you've kind of, you've made those transitions. You've, Figured things out, and now you're you're giving back, which is I think
1: I'm hoping to. I wish I I I want I want to be the person I needed at this time in life. So I'm really trying to bring a vulnerable and very transparent voice to this journey because, not to say that it's harder or 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 um, you know, comparative to a man. I I feel like it's just very different and um, it's got its unique challenges. So um, I just want to be a voice and and part of that conversation because there's not a lot of people out there talking about these issues. I wish more people were talking about it when I was growing up.
0: I think at some point I'm going to convince you to do a podcast. I mean,
1: I know maybe it's on the radar. Maybe. (laughs) Thanks
0: again for coming on here. This has been awesome.
1: Well, thank you so much. Definitely appreciate it. And uh, yeah,
0: look forward to seeing this. Yeah, for sure. And for everyone out there listening or watching, hello, YouTube. uh, If you've got some kind of lesson learned from this, and I know you do because I literally have two pages of notes here. Then share this with someone. Be a thought leader for one person. Just like pick a person that should benefit from this. It could be someone who's developing their career and needs to hear the, the latter part of this, or maybe it's a marketer who skipped ahead to the shiny thing and they need a little work on understanding their buyer. Uh, either way, share this with someone so it gets out there. And again, Shannon, thank you so much being on here and out there this has been the hardcore marketing show we will catch you all next time